You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Certain fundamental events that would have populated the airwaves over the last few days have been sort of shunted aside because of political considerations. But let's redress the balance now and talk about what's been happening with central banks across the world this week. With me is strategist at 91 in London, and that's Russell Silverstone. Russell, we have to start with the big boys, I suppose, and that's the US Federal Reserve. They left rates unchanged, which was, of course, widely expected. But Mr. Powell, I thought, made some interesting comments. Tell us about them and and your interpretation, if you would. Yeah, hello there, Lindsay. No, for sure. So they uh, they met last night, obviously, uh, in the middle of the election. So they were never likely to, to, to actually do anything. But I think they're relatively downbeat, to be honest with you. Um, there's an awful lot of uncertainty in the world, as, as, as we can see all around us. And so whilst they sort of kept their sort of forward guidance and their statement largely unchanged, um, they're clearly thinking about what they can do next to, to, to add more stimulus um, if it's needed. And I think that was probably the most interesting part that came out of that meeting. Yes, and Jerome Powell, the chair, was also talking about COVID. And he was, I don't know if he was sort of cocking a snook at President Trump, but he did, he did make some fairly forthright statements for a central banker, I thought. Yeah, and there's no getting away from it, is there? Because unfortunately, economic outcomes are, are very closely linked to the path of the virus. So you know, he, he can't avoid talking about it. And they're clearly concerned that actually virus cases begin to pick up again. And so the service sector economy begins to suffer. And that, that, that's clearly what we're seeing around the world. Manufacturers doing absolutely fine, but service sectors are very linked to that sort of virus outcomes um, and, and, and so are under pressure. Yeah, let's have a look at the market reaction. I mean, the dollar's been under pressure for a while. It it had a brief rally a couple of weeks ago, but it's sort of edging its way in many people's eyes to that level, which we did see briefly, I think, back in March, April time, around 120 euro dollar. Uh, what do you think of the US dollar, given what we what we heard last night? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the dollar is is pretty expensive. It's, it's behaving or has been behaving so far this year as a defensive asset. People buy it when they're, they're very uncertain about the world. And certainly the action in markets over the last few days is, despite all the noise, actually, you know, political uncertainty is, is probably fading. I'm not allowed to talk about politics, as you know, but, but perhaps yes. we have a sort of a more um, grown up uh, political conversation, shall we say. Um, and, and I think that certainty is very positive for markets in that sort of environment, particularly if the Fed are thinking of, of, of easing again into the uncertainty will be uh, will be negative for the dollar for sure. Yes, indeed. And briefly on the bond market, the US bond market, it was, again, it's been in the ascendancy, but how much further can it go? And I have to give a small note here, side note, that I think for the first time in history, a certain Italian bond has now gone negative in terms of yield, which is quite astonishing. It's remarkable, isn't it? So the US Treasury market, was selling off. There were fears that we got the so-called blue wave whereby the, the Democrats control Congress and, and presidency and we were therefore going to see some, some significant fiscal stimulus. That, of course, means two things. One, it means far more bond supply, i.e. more bonds to sell into the market, and it and it means all things being equal, a much stronger economy. If Congress is split, the, the sort of market sort of came back on that. Uh, big picture, it's, it's range-bound. Uh, our, our view is US Treasuries are quite expensive um, but in this sort of environment that uncertainty keeps them well supported so so we're, we're in a range there Italy is absolutely fascinating and and there's a couple of things going on here and, and, and one of the most 
you know, outside of central France, one of the most interesting things I think that's happened recently is one of the rating agencies changed its assessment on Italy based on the recovery fund uh, that, that's currently working its way through through the EU Parliament. And the fact that actually that means more sort of fiscal cohesion, more fiscal uh, coordination in Europe, that's a real positive for Italy. The second thing is, of course, the European Central Bank are looking to ease policy further still. As things stand, they will be buying all net new issuance of Italian debt next year. So, you know, there, there's, despite all of the enormous fiscal impulse we're seeing around the world, the central bank are just hoovering all of that paper up. So it's absolutely fascinating. So there's no net supply. That's why it's doing so well. That's quite extraordinary. Negative Italian bond yield. I mean, you think of the word negative in Italy and you think of politics and uh, occasionally football, but this is this is quite a thing. OK, let's get back to uh, another central bank very close to your home, and that's the Bank of England, of course. And they made an announcement yesterday. What did they say? Yeah, they've, in, they've increased um, their quantitative easing by um, $150 billion. I mean, we sort of throw these numbers around nowadays, don't we? Quite extraordinary. You know, they had to do something. Obviously, we've gone down into partial lockdown, nowhere near as severe as it was back in, in March. We've gone back into lockdown. The economy, therefore, is looking more vulnerable. The Bank of England expects the UK to shrink by 11% this year. And so they're adding more stimulus, of course, in, in perhaps slightly uncomfortable coordination that the, the Chancellor also um, extended all the, the, the furlough scheme that we've had, which is pretty generous in the UK, out to March, which is the right thing to do. So government's going to be borrowing more, Bank of England's buying more, net-net, uh, nobody worries about the supply. So it's a very similar similar picture. But again, the sort of communication from the bank is there is so much uncertainty. You know, if the, if the virus you know, hopefully subsides quickly or we have a vaccine, then all of that stimulus globally is going to just you know, like you know, like the blue touch paper and stand well back. Uh, if, it, if if it doesn't disappear, then the economies are in trouble. So you know, it's, it's, the uncertainty is massive. So so they had no choice other than to ease a little bit more. And it seems as, as though they won't have much choice for the next few months and maybe even beyond that. I mean, can you see any change in this stance? Not in the short term, no. I think the you know, the positive case is 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 clearly you know wider populations just perhaps learn to live with the virus or, or there's some sort of immunity. Obviously, there's a successful and widespread vaccine. Then you know, that's the upside scenario. And, and, and in that case, they may draw back some of that liquidity, you know, this time next year at the very earliest. But I, I, I would make the differentiation between the sort of stock and flow, the stock of quantitative easing and the flow of, of new quantitative easing. So they, you know, if things turn quite positive, they could stop that flow in a year or so's time, but the stock is going to remain incredibly high. Then you know that that is not going to go away anytime soon. So no, I'm, I'm afraid that that is very much the case that the policy is just going to remain super easy for for a very long time. Okay, uh, some people will applaud that, some people will bemoan that. But anyway, Russell, thanks so much for your excellent analysis. Russell Silverstone is a strategist at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.